Hello, La Liga fans, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. My name is Alex Comsia, and once again, I'm very excited to be joined by El Profesor Chris Mumford. How are you doing, Chris? Fabuloso. Glad to be back. We also got professional defender DJ Taylor back. Thanks again for joining us, DJ. Thanks for having me. Our expert analyst, Scott Martin, is here on deck. How's it going, Scott? Doing well, Alex. Ready to get started. And finally, welcome back, Sam Leverage. How's it going in Madrid, Sam? Oh, good. Thanks, Alex. Very hot, but lots of La Liga action. Lots of action for sure. So let's go ahead and recap some of the action from this past week. Real Madrid is just so close to clinching their first La Liga title since 2016-2017 season. DJ warned us last week about Sevilla creeping up and being a problem, and now we have a heated battle for third place between Sam's beloved Atletico Madrid and Sevilla, both tied at 66 points. Europa League spots are also still up for grabs, especially between Getafe, Real Sociedad, and Athletic Club. Speaking of Europa League, Scott, Hitafe had a tough time against Villarreal, losing 3-1. Kosorla with a man-of-the-match performance. How did that play out? So that was one of those matches where maybe the scoreline doesn't accurately reflect the performance on the pitch. I did come into this match thinking that Villarreal would try to be proactive, that they would initiate play uh, just with their, their dynamic attacking patterns. But in the end, what I saw was uh, Villarreal really protecting themselves at the back. Uh, you could tell that they, their priority coming into this match was eliminating or at least trying to contain Hetafe's uh, very direct attack and try to protect the, the middle of the pitch. So there was maybe a, a little bit, bit less rotation up top, uh, not quite the, the stunning attacking performances that, were, that we've seen since the, the restart of the break. So in the end, they, they did get the 3-1 result. Um, for the match, they had an XG of 1.74, but 1.52 of that was through penalty kicks, both of which were converted by Corzola. So it gives you a sense that for the match, they really did not produce many high-quality opportunities. In fact, it was Getafe that, that was really the, on the, the offensive for most of the match, that, that very hard counter-pressing, that physical style. Uh, that really rattled Villarreal at times. Uh, there was just no end product for Hetafe. They did manage to score on a corner kick. Um, but ultimately, I, I think they'll come away from this match disappointed uh, with the, the results. I think they figured they at least deserved one point, if not three. Sure, in a game of mistakes, defensively especially, Chris, the first PK was pretty clear. What do you think about Hitafe goalkeeper David Soria's foul on Moy Gomez? He just sticks his arm out and clips him pretty clearly. Well, I'd probably take a little different opinion in terms of sticking his arm out. I mean, I think he was he was trying to go for the ball. Things get a little mixed up and Alakazam, the striker's on the ground. Um, so um, uh, it's clear that's, that is a PK uh, as much as I want to side with the keeper's you got to call a spade a spade, pick yourself up and try to stop a 75% shot. Right. And then Hitafe responds. Their first goal was some pretty horrendous defending in the box, DJ. It seemed like two Hitafe players were 
wide open right in the middle, right in front of the goalkeeper, right on the six. What happened there? I think for me is is a miscommunication between, you know, the holding midfielders for really out and and the outside backs and the center backs. Um, I think it's tough, especially that transition when you have the holding midfielders coming back in to defend the line. And if you don't get that communication right, you're leaving the gap wide open because obviously you have the two defenders, one near post and one far post, but that whole gap in the middle is just open and that's an easy goal. Right. And then let's talk about Villarreal's third goal scored by Ruben Pena. This caught the Hitafe defense sleeping a little bit, Scott. It seemed like the back line was stepping up, trying to play almost an offside trap, but they were ball watching and they got caught. What, what happened there? Yeah, so on that third goal, it actually very closely resembled the, the approach during the first goal as well. Um, there was a little bit of a, an attempt at an offside trap, um, but you also saw Hitafe punished for their aggressive play. Uh, and understandably, with the third goal, they're they're pushing higher up the pitch. They they do need to get that late equalizer, so they are caught out a little bit. Uh, they don't have the numbers behind the ball that they typically would. Um, but credit to Villarreal, they picked out their their runner and uh, they put the game to bed. Right. So let's go back, DJ. When you're doing an offside trap, what are the main well, the keys you need to think about as a defender if you're going to play an offside trap? I mean, I think, first of all, the timing, right? <laughs> it's obvious if your timing's off, you're going to, you, you can't do an offside trap. And obviously the whole back line has to be in communication. You know, for example, the outside backs can't be behind the center backs. That's a rule that I know from playing when I was little that everybody knows, you know, playing at any level. Um, yeah, it's, it's all about the timing. And, and obviously it's a last minute decision by a center back. If he wants to take that step forward, then whole back line needs to be even with him or in front of him so that he can catch that trap and obviously it's a risk if you don't get it right and the attacker's in behind he's usually free by himself well put let's move on to atletico madrid versus real betis it was a 1-0 scoreline sam pretty intense fixture here we had var involved we had a red card but atletico madrid comes out on top yeah it was definitely one of those atletico madrid games where they kind of grind out the result and it was one of those games i mean real betis it's something that we've seen a lot from them. They're starting to show some fighting spirit and they're a lot more organised and a lot more structured in, especially defensively. And then they caused some real problems for the Atletico Madrid defence at times and Amalia Hermoso just couldn't quite keep up. It was one of those where he was just having a bit of a nightmare all through the game and then getting in behind him, exploiting that space, which is something that Betis did quite well because usually Atletico are quite structured in how they are set up defensively and they don't allow too much space to run into. But Mario Hermoso's positioning just wasn't quite on point. And then Betis always looked to exploit that. And in the end, that was what drew the red card. A couple of our efforts as well. And in the end, it was Diego Costa, Diego Simeone's kind of trusted figure in attack who, who got the winning goal. Right. And VAR seems to be a talking point lately, not only in La Liga, but across all leagues. VAR rules out two goals here. Chris, what are your thoughts on the first handball from Lorente that rules out the first goal? It seemed very unintentional, but I I really think that the rules got to change, right? And um, I don't think it's the problem is with VAR, and uh, I I'm hoping that there's enough time in the off season to come up with things. I'm going to put something out there. I think that. If it's an unintentional handball, it's an indirect kick from where, where it happened, even if it's inside the, the penalty kick, 
I just, I know that could muck up things more, but I just think that things are broken right now. Uh, the VAR piece breaks my heart on these offsides, but video don't lie. You know, if they're offsides, they're offsides. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how, how I, I, my take on, on things. And I will tell you in this game, I, I mean, Batiste had 21 shots, only three of which were on target. I don't know why people are taking so many shots outside of the box, um, but it is, it is what it is. And to me, it's not a percentage I'd be proud of. So it looks like those are a couple changes I'd advocate for. Sam, Scott, DJ, any thoughts on, on VAR? Well, I mean, I think ahead, Chris Sam. said there about the, the uh, an offside is an offside, but when it's as tight as Alvaro Morata's was, I mean, it depends to where the line comes from and then the angle of the line and all kinds of technicalities that I saw some people afterwards discussing on Twitter and drawing out their own mathematical lines, trying to say that the angle was one best degree off and if it was right, then Morata would have been onside. And I think there is a discussion to be had about VAR with offsides and kind of the margin of error that we allow. I mean, it's like calls as tight as that. We're really going to go down to the millimetres and the quarter of an inch that he was offside or do we give some margin of error? Yeah, yeah. I mean, follow up. I mean, you've got to allow for some margin of error. Um, it's, it's all about the interpretation of the rule. That's, that's really where we need more clarity. I, you know, at least right now, there is something set in stone. If, if you exceed by any margin whatsoever, uh, you're punished. So at least there, it, it is maybe a bit too rigid, but there is clarity. Um, if we do get away from that, uh, where's the defined standard? So I, I think that's what it will come down to. Um, you know, maybe if there's daylight between the attacker and the defender, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it is frustrating to see a goal wiped out because a player was uh, two inches in front of his opponent. Right. DJ, let's talk about it from a player's perspective, in particular Maratic here. He has an amazing chip, an amazing run, just an amazing goal in general. As a player, how do you feel after scoring a goal like that? Your confidence is obviously sky high, and then VAR rules it out. What is your thought process? What is the mentality as a player right after that? I think, for one, obviously, it's very frustrating. Obviously, you just scored this crazy goal. You, you know, you get in behind, especially as a striker. You crave goals. That's what they crave. That's what they get paid to do, you know. So to have that taken away within a second of, of the ref looking at the screen, uh, it's pretty tough. But obviously, I think you scored that time of goal. You know, Morata just keeps going. He says, hey, I can do it. I can do it again. You know what I mean? If I did it once, I'm going to do it again. And so I think, obviously, from the player's perspective, it's, it's kind of bad for the striker. As a defender, it might be good because you're like, oh, man. <laughs> He was actually offsides, you know, and maybe the ref wouldn't have seen that if we didn't have VAR. So I think it's very controversial. It can go either way for defenders or for the attacking players. For sure. Something to adapt to. Yeah, I do want to talk about a disturbing trend uh, is that forwards are figuring out they can chip instead of trying to crush the ball past the defender. Or they're figuring out whether it's a breakaway situation or from 25 yards out. And that worries me because that means that forwards are acquiring advanced intelligence where they realize to try to hit the ball where people ain't. And as a goalkeeper, that worries me a lot because uh, uh, it, it's already pretty stacked against us. But when you start getting smart strikers, watch out um, goal records. For sure. And then Hermoso with a terrible tackle and red card. But Diego Costa gets the job done. A man down from a deep free kick. 
Chris, what are your thoughts on the defensive line from Betis here? Too high? I, I personally think it is too high. And, and here's my logic is as, as a goalkeeper, I'd like to be able to have at least some sense of I can control my own fate. So I like to have it maybe on the nine-yard line so I can get a running start from the three. And more than likely, if it's anywhere near the nine or on the other side of the nine, I am going after that ball and I'm owning up to either catching it or, or not. Um, if it's in a situation where it's too high, it allows for back lines to screw up, which is what kind of happened there. Or secondarily, a second ball to be to hit the ground and a keeper has little to no reaction time. I don't like it when it's on the six, which there, there were some matches in City A where the uh, against AC Milan and you know uh, the goalkeeper doesn't really have much of a chance on a quick flick so I like that nine yard where I can attack the zone right I want to attack the play as a goalkeeper rather than sit and wait that's why it was too high in my opinion right too high and definitely a mistake as well if you're going to play a high line like that you can't have one of your Betis players dropping off too early and keeping Costa on side right DJ yeah, I was going to say something about that. And then obviously, if you're playing a high line, you kind of have to trap your line together so it's very tight so that, you know, players like Diego Costa, they can't just run free. Like, I think that's the trade-off you get with the high lines. If you're going to stay high, you have to cut off spaces. You have to get contact on people running through the line. Um, you know, if it's a little bit lower, then you can just you can just run with players. Like, But that's ended up what they're doing. If you run with players with a high line, they're, they'll have the advantage because they're on a, a full sprint. You know what I mean? So... It showed up. Exactly. So let's move on. Real Madrid taking care of business, Scott, against Deportivo Alaves and then Granada. As we mentioned, Real Madrid is getting the job done and have been perfect since the restart. They had these two matches. They took care of business. And Scott, what's your key takeaways from this match? Uh, so for the match against Deportivo Alaves, um, they, they took care of business overall quality performance, good first half. Um, in fact, you know, I think it was uh, much more open in the first 15 minutes than expected. Uh, Alaves had a few really nice opportunities, um, hit the crossbar, ball cleared off the line. Uh, Real Madrid had a uh, couple of responses as well. But ultimately, it was uh, Real Madrid capitalizing on a couple of mistakes from Alaves. So uh, to paint a picture, during the, uh, the second goal, we saw Alaves um, play the ball back to the keeper and then look to play long, maybe recover the second ball. But as they progressed up the field, uh, we saw their lines very disjointed. They got four players high up the, uh, the pitch in line with the Real Madrid back line. But as that happened, there were only two Alaves players in the midfield with uh, the three Real Madrid midfielders. So ultimately, Real Madrid wins the second ball. They're able to play around that, that Deportivo midfield and uh, really put the game to bed. So, you know, from Alava's perspective, I thought they defended pretty well in most phases of the game. It, it was just in moments of, of you, know, um, you know, either in transition or trying to play that, that long pass that I think their mistakes really cost them. So, 
the number, the numerical advantage for Real Madrid. I, I mean, they when they have it, they attack quickly and they will punish you. You have to make sure when you go into a matchup against uh, Madrid that you're not giving them that kind of opportunity. Uh, you've really got to limit space, keep it tight, and you know, almost following a, a Hitafe model, uh, keep it tight, compact, and opportunistic in the attack. So when Alaves pushed too far forward, Real Madrid hit them. Uh, and then the second match, the uh, the Real Madrid Granada game, uh, that one was that one was really interesting. Uh, a couple of really early goals from Real Madrid uh, gave them that that two goal lead. Uh, they would eventually hold out to to secure the two one result. But Granada made it really difficult for them. Um, as to be said, those two Real Madrid goals, they came from really difficult angles. Uh, well done by Mendy and Benzema to, to put the team on the board to finish off those plays. But Real Madrid really didn't have much in this match. Uh, and in fact, for the, for the entire match, they only had an expected goal of uh, 0.41. So it just goes to show how well Granada played. Um, really from the, the time of the second goal through the end of the game, there wasn't a whole lot for the Real Madrid attack. Um, a lot of possession, a lot of you know, moving side to side with the ball, but very little penetration and not really the high quality opportunities to goal that, uh, that we've really seen during this break. So, How about from, yeah, go ahead. Benzema's performance against Alaves, like he finally gets to take a PK because Ramos isn't around. Could you imagine if he took all the PKs, he'd be the Pichichi right now over Messi? He would. And, you know, going into this matchup, I think uh, Alaves was first or second in the league in penalty kick goals conceded. So given that Real Madrid's had a few go their way recently, uh, won't dwell on that too much, but had a few, had a feeling that another penalty kick was coming at some point in this game. Um, so, but yeah, Benzema finished it off. And yeah, like you said, um, strong season, and if he was taking the penalty kicks. So, DJ, let's dive into the psychological factor here of a player like Benzema. You know, you have Cristiano Ronaldo who's leaving. you got big shoes to fill. But look at him. He's, he's been performing so well. It took him a little bit of time. But does that – do you think that plays any factor? A guy like Cristiano leaves, and now, you know, the responsibility is on your shoulders? Yeah, I think, obviously, with Cristiano leaving, it, it leaves a big – big gap, big shoes for, for any striker to fill at, at Real Madrid. But I think, obviously, as you see, Benzema's always stepped up to the plate when Real Madrid has need, needed him. And it started since day one ever since he's been there. I, I love, like, the way he plays as a striker. And like I said, he always answers. He's always scoring goals, whether that's with his feet, with his head. You know, he's kind of that, you know, striker that stays in the six-yard box. And that's it. But like I said, he's always been able to answer the question. I just think now he's just really, you know, reaching his full potential with, with him being the starting starting guy now. Right. And let's let's move on to the match against Granada. All right, Alex, let me just jump in for a second here. This was a case study in low angle shots and what goalkeepers do. And in that first first goal there, uh keeper gets beat to the to the near post. And you always hear the adage, oh, a keeper should never get beat to the near post. But he absolutely crushes it the ball is coming up. It's just, you know, if, if you're a striker and you're stuck in that angle, you just, you got one play, right? That um, second goal uh, for Real Madrid, uh, Benzema's goal, 
if you look at it, the keeper actually overplayed. He was out of position. He overplayed the near post because he didn't want to get beat so badly. So what did Benzema do? He put it on the far post, right? So, and then the, that, the Granada goal, Courtois takes the low angle and what he uses a, diff a, a different technique. He goes more um, um, spread foot, right? Because he's a big keeper. He's, he's going to try to kick Dave. And what happens to him? He gets megged, right? So it's one of those cases where as a keeper, you kind of have to commit to, I'm going to, this is the technique I'm going to use and you're going to live and die by it. And it's just, you know, I see that later. We're going to talk about Ter Stegen. He had some outstanding uh, plays, but this week I was really struck by the large number of low angle goals that went in and it just could be probability or it just could be that strikers are, are start, starting to figure out how do you unlock that puzzle. Great point there. I'm glad you brought up Benzema's goal because DJ 1v1 defending in that right back position, Benzema is running at you. What do you think about the Granada defender there 1v1? I think he was all right to begin with, but I think obviously in any situation where you're 1v1, as you're receding, there has to be a point where you engage the attacker. Obviously, when you first are defending 1v1 outside your box, you're just trying to delay the guy, you know? You're just trying to delay him so that your other midfielder or other center back can come help you if they cut inside. Um, but once it gets to that point, you know, where you're kind of at the top of your 18, any top striker is going to be able to finish with any type of space. And obviously, I think he hesitated. And as a defender, you have to create that engagement, like I said. And, and this time he didn't. And, you know, what happens as soon as you get that little slip uh, for Benzema, Benzema finishes it and punches him. And to note, it, both goals came from that uh, Real Madrid left-hand side against Victor Diaz uh, for good Granada. So um, Real Madrid was finding a lot of joy on that left-hand side of the pitch very early on. So, in, I mean, w one of the things we saw very much um, like the, you know, the, the match for uh, Villarreal is there was a very aggressive uh, press. But once you break that first line, just like Real Madrid did in in uh, the second goal, in Benzema's goal, you really leave that back line vulnerable. Uh, so, I mean, you can understand why he's trying to delay the attack. Uh, his midfield was very poorly positioned. Uh, they weren't ready to engage. But at some point, yeah, DJ, like you're saying, he's, he's got to engage, maybe probably a little bit higher up the pitch. And uh, unfortunately for Diaz, he just waited too long and then allowed Benzema to also cut to the inside and get a shot off. Right, and Scott, how about that goal they gave up, Casemiro giving up the ball? Ramos expressed his displeasure after, after the match was over. What do you think happened there? Just a giveaway and nothing else to be said? I mean, he certainly held on to it too long. I uh, don't know that he was aware of the pressure coming up from behind. But, um, you know, ultimately, he's got to play it a little bit quicker. But, I mean, with a guy like Casemiro, he, he does so much great work defensively. Um, the number of goals that the guys uh, protected or defended against, um, I mean, that's, that's why Real Madrid leads Europe in, in uh, XG against this season, you know, an XG per, against per 90. So his defensive work in the front is, is immaculate. You know, in a play like this, everyone's going to, uh, to have that bad giveaway that leads to a goal every once in a while. Um, but ultimately, for, for Casemiro and the rest of the defense, they, they held strong for the rest of the match, and they saw the results. So, you know, it, it's frustrating. 
Um, Alex, you're a center back. I, I would imagine uh, you understand Ramos's frustration very well. Exactly. But, but the side regroups. Yeah, it's frustrating as a center back there because the back line is flat. So there's angles. You're, you're in possession, so you're actually spread out. And DJ, as a right back, you're, you're far out. That creates that angle and that space to, for a through ball if the ball is coughed up in the middle of the field. That's one of the worst places to lose the ball is right in the heart, middle of the field. It's just it's pretty easy to get exposed from there. You, you can't have that happen. And let's be honest, Casemiro, it doesn't happen very often. So. Now he'll, he'll take that on the chin and, and he'll move on from there. So moving on to FC Barcelona, they got the job done as well. Not quite as convincingly as Real Madrid did. First against Espanyol, and then they barely got through Real Valladolid. Pinned them back pretty much all second half. I haven't really seen Barcelona get pinned back like that and struggle to get out of their half in possession in recent games in La Liga. But against Espanyol, Ansu Fati gets a silly red card here. DJ, what was he thinking? Is it just immaturity? How do you deal with these young players? Yeah, I think obviously it was a silly foul. You know, you saw Kiki Setien's uh, reaction when he just put Fati in and minutes in, he's out already. And that changes the whole tactic of the game. Um, like I said, I think with young players, I think it's just an experience for him. You know, Setien knew the risk he was taking by putting Fati in. At the end of the day, he's still just a young guy who's still coming up. Yes, he's done very well and scored goals, but he still has a lot of learning to do. And I think it showed up in this game, you know, for him to really grow as a professional athlete, he has to not be able to just come in and 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 make a mistake like that and, and then get subbed out and see how it affects his team. Exactly. The maturity will definitely come. But Fatih got lucky that Espanyol got a red card right after Polozano, another silly challenge. And then it becomes a 10 v 10 matchup. And that just plays into Barcelona's hands. There's more space to be exposed more isolation, 1v1. You have players like Griezmann and Messi that you know have more possibilities and they can run at players without worrying about certain cover. Um, you can't press as well when teams are in possession. So this immediately changed the game completely for Espanyol. And, and Suarez's goal is, is beautiful. Obviously, it's a rebound. Chris will be frustrated for the keeper there. But he follows up exceptionally well. Griezmann makes a run to paint a picture from the top of the box. You know, he's, he's under the radar. We've talked about these deep midfield runs that can't quite get tracked as a center back right through the heart because it's just late. It's, he's already at pace. He makes a great run. Another great ball by Jordi Alba. Amazing back heel here. Messi gets the quick shot off with three guys around him, and then Suarez follows up for the finish. Beautiful goal here. Um, and yeah, then uh, Sociedad must be uh, respected for their sorry, Real Valladolid must be respected moving on for their amazing performance against Barcelona, especially in that second half, as we mentioned. Um, you know, Vidal really stepped up to the plate, I thought, with his performance, especially defensively. Obviously, he got the goal, which was an exceptional one. Messi chips it. Over three guys, there seems to be no space. Vidal takes it on the, the half volley for an amazing shot. I don't think the keeper could have done much there, Chris. Um, but for me, the man of the match was Tristegan. What do you think, Chris? 
I, I agree. I mean, particularly in that, that second half, uh, he basically put the team on his back and carried them. Uh, I just thought this was a great week of goalkeeping uh, for um, Ter Stegen. Uh, incidentally, in, in the Espanol, there was a late, a late shot near post, low angle. He's he's spread footed and he, he makes a great kick state there. So you live by the sword, you die by the sword on that. But they, I think Ter Stegen is is probably goalkeeper of the week across the five leagues um, because. Uh, they could have easily walked away with a tie and a loss otherwise uh, if, it, if it weren't for his play. I also think what was cool is the transition with Griezmann to, to two up top has been quite interesting. It's not traditionally a Barcelona style, and that creates more responsibility for the wide players. You know, you saw in, in the Valladolid game, Barcelona almost play like a back three at times uh, with five midfielders, and then Ricky Puj was actually you know, playing more of an attacking midfielder role, which was quite interesting to see. Obviously a fantastic talent there. Griezmann is officially out now with injury, so we'll have to see who replaces him, um, whether they switch formations. You know, again, Suarez might play with Messi up top with perhaps Puj or, or Vidal underneath. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see, guys, but... It's definitely not in FC Barcelona's hands. You know, it hasn't been for the last couple of weeks. Real Madrid can get the job done this next week. Let's move on to Villarreal versus Real Sociedad. Sam, how did this one play out? Yes, yeah, so a big game in the chase for Europe. And it was actually kind of against the run of form. So since the restart, we've seen the Villarreal have been very good. They found some, some really good form and they went unbeaten for quite a while. And Real Sociedad. They've been the total opposite. They've been a complete mess. They've lacked all the energy and the attacking, flowing play that they had before the restart. So this was a bit of a, an upset to see Real Sociedad come back and win. And it was two goals from, from corner kicks that got them the win. And Villarreal were a little bit sloppy, a little bit tired all over the pitch. So for both goals with the corners, they were a little bit lazy, a bit sloppy in their marking. And then, as we can see here, I mean, there were times where Villarreal were looking to do the higher press, which has worked so well for them in the last few weeks. But they're just kind of overcommitted and sent too many players into specific areas. And Real Sociedad haven't been great in terms of their passing and movement lately, but they were able to find the spaces. And that's exactly the kind of game that they thrive upon, where they can have those spaces open up and they can look to get into the, the wide areas particularly and switch the ball quickly and look to get out defences. Exactly. Do you, Sam, do you expect Villarreal to hold on to that fifth place spot? I think they should do. I mean, they're in good form. It'll be interesting to see the psychological aspect of this because they've been in such a good run of form and then to have that big blow of, of losing one game and they've kind of been taken aback a bit and they've had that blow of, wow, really, maybe we're not that good after all. So it'll be interesting to see how it impacts them psychologically. But I think they have got what it takes to, to hold on to that fifth spot now. I think the teams around them, Real Sociedad and Etafe, aren't in great form. So I'd fancy them to hold on. Great point. The Europa League battle seems to be quite a struggle there. Uh, so, guys, let's preview some important matches coming up. You know, La Liga is, you know, we only have, I think, a week and a half left, a couple more matches. And, Scott, we got Real Madrid taking on Villarreal for the title on Thursday. What should we expect? Well, so this is historically a very close affair. Um, Many of their matches have gone down as draws in recent years. So 
if history suggests any type of result, you, you would expect either uh, a draw or maybe a one goal margin in favor of Real Madrid. I, I'm a little bit more optimistic for Real Madrid. Um, there's a couple reasons for that. So the first is that this is a Villarreal side that I think especially since that match against Barcelona, they have really struggled to put together uh, you know, just very flowing attacking football. Um, you know, at least the type of football that we were used to seeing before that Barcelona match. So since that game against Barcelona, um, so we look at their match against Hetafe and Real Sociedad, if you look at their non-penalty kick expected goals, over the two games, they, they total 0.62, which is a shockingly low margin, even for one match. Uh, given that's over two matches, um, it just goes to show that there is something wrong with their attack. Um, you know, while we did see a little bit more of attacking flair against Real Sociedad, there wasn't the end product. So for that match, they only had 0.39 XG. So it, it does go to show that um, there is something, just something off with the, the attack. And this is not a, a Real Madrid side that I think will struggle to contain them. Uh, maybe see Villarreal scoring once, but I think they'll really have to strain to, uh, to get that goal. Um, the other end, even though Real Madrid hasn't necessarily been great with their set pieces, especially corner kicks this season, uh, I think in Europe they're, they're one of the, the worst corner kick teams in the top five leagues. Yeah, yeah, it's shocking. The team with almost Braun that they're struggling. But um, yeah, the, the, routine, the routines are very simple, though. You typically see Ramos and Braun picking for each other in the middle. Um, one of the forwards with a high pick at the top of the six, and then you've got your near and far post runners. So it's fairly easy to prep for the Real Madrid corner kicks. But this is also a Villarreal side that's allowed uh, three corner kick goals in the past two matches. So um, I think we, we should see a little more success from Real Madrid in the set pieces. And depending on who's available, if we do get Hazard in, I think you could see uh, Los Blancos take advantage of a lot of space in this uh, Villarreal attack. Or in, in their defense, I, I do think they will try to press higher the pitch when they do get the ball. I think we will see a very expansive attack inside, just like we did against Barcelona, against Real Sociedad. Uh, and Real Madrid should look to punish that expansive attacking uh, approach. Scott, is it even worth previewing the Leganes match? Is that even... <laughs> do we just scratch that? I mean, if it comes down to that... Um, Real Madrid should hold on. <laughs> I'm pretty confident against uh, like an and at that point they they might even be out of contention for a stay in La Liga. So if that's the case, um, you're you're probably going to see some pretty heavy rotations. Maybe manager getting a look at players to uh, to possibly fill in the gaps next year. Exactly. So next up, we got Atletico Madrid versus Getafe on Saturday. Sam. Your boys are going to get third place or what? I think so, yeah. I think there's two difficult games left, Tafe and Leo Sociedad, and they're both games that a few months ago looked really difficult, and now since the restart, both those teams have been really poor. So now it doesn't look quite so difficult, and Atletico Madrid have got the Champions League place tied up. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Diego Simeone does with his team selection. I think he might rotate, and even though we have got quite a while to rest before the Champions League kicks off again, I think that's the real 
priority for Atletico Madrid now. I think they'll take four, fourth place if it means they can give some rest to the likes of Diego Costa and Alvaro Morata and give them a bit of a break before the Champions League campaign kicks off. But Atletico will certainly be a difficult team to beat, especially away from home. And Atletico will need another one of those performances where they can grind out a 1-0 win. I argue that they have the... Atletico Madrid has the hardest last couple of matches out of anyone in La Liga, um, and I'm sure I'm sure Chris will agree. Uh, what do you expect against the against the match against Real Sociedad? Well, I, I think that's going to be one of those box of chocolates games. Uh, in that, don't know what the lineup's going to be for Atletico um, and Real Sociedad. You know, I think there's tremendous motivation because. Post-COVID, they've been one of the poorest performing teams. Right. Uh, and they're going to go full guns blazing uh, just to try to finish the season strong. Uh, and, you know, they, they're looking to figure out how they can move up. Number one, can they achieve a Europa position? And then can they move to uh, avoid the group stages? So I am going to be really interested uh, if, if um, Atletico – ties or loses against Hitafe, what what are they going to do against Real Sociedad? I suspect uh, they're going to do what Sam suggested, which is rest and and see where things go. So I, it'll be a very interesting match. Yeah, from Atletico's perspective, the only thing left to play for in the league is maybe a little bit of extra prize money for finishing third rather than fourth. So, I mean, ultimately, I don't think there's a lot of motivation, maybe keeping up form to the Champions League. Um, but you look at Hipafe and Real Sociedad, these are, these are hungry, hungry teams with a lot to play for. And yeah. that, uh, that matchup against Hipafe, that's, you're going to see some fireworks on the pitch. Hey, do, you, do, you, do you agree? I mean, you're playing for third in La Liga, your Sevilla or your Atletico Madrid. Do you agree with that as a player? Yeah, I mean, they got everything to fight for. Um, it'll be very interesting, you know, once this always happens at the end of every, every season with any league when you, especially when you're fighting for relegation, you know, when I was playing in Spain the last, the last year I was there, I saved the club from, we saved the club from getting into relegation and it's crazy, you know, it's just a dog fight that whole game. You have to push for a goal and everybody's just going for it. And the other team may be resting players, but to them, it doesn't matter. They, they see red, they're going to go for it. Well, and I think we're going to see a lot of, we may see some red in this game. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I mean, Hitafe, Atletico Madrid. Lots of yellow. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. I want to contradict myself as well. I think there's a, an important factor, which is that Alessio Madrid see themselves as kind of the, the third club in Spain now outside of Real Madrid and Barcelona. Right. And they won't want to let go of that tag as the next biggest team. And, and Sevilla as well, they're a team who have been there and they've been in the mix. And they might be a little bit concerned about the, the mental factor going into next year if Alessio Madrid aren't the third biggest team anymore. Exactly. So... FC Barcelona plays Osasuna and then finally finishes off with Deportivo Alaves. Guys, it's not in their hands. I think this is pretty straightforward. Um, Griezmann is obviously out, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, who plays with Suarez and Messi, where they play two up top, where they play three with a Fati on, on the wide position or, or Ricky Puj, who plays a, a higher role or whether he drops into the midfield or whether he even plays. Um, the back line is pretty much set. Ter Stegen is obviously set. So in terms of a lineup, you know, there's going to be no, no real surprises besides that front line, perhaps. Um, but a lot of 
the talk has actually been around Barcelona has actually been off the pitch. You know, there are tons of transfer rumors regarding uh, Lotano from Inter Milan. Rumors are that Messi really wants to bring him in and he is not happy um, with obviously the performance this year and the front office uh, at FC Barcelona. He is stalling uh, contract renegotiation for 2021. So there seems to be some drama at the Camp Nou, Scott, you know, Real Madrid's probably loving that. Atletico Madrid's probably loving that. But, um, but yeah, it's tough. DJ, as a player, you know, you, you hear all these things happening at the club. Uh, let's, say, let's say you're just a regular starter. You're a Lenglet at, at Barcelona. You're a Semedo. You know, you don't really have a big voice at the club. And you hear these things happening. What is your thought process? You just go about your business and, and, you know, you don't ignore it? Or does it creep into the pitch a little bit? I think um, for right now, it's all right. You know, obviously, you still have two games left. So, you know, as long as you're playing as a player and you're starting, you're getting your minutes in and you're performing well, that's all that matters at the end of the day. I think, obviously, if Real Madrid wins it next week, I think you will see it creep into the heads of players, you know, with that last game. And we'll see what happens with Setien, who he chooses to play and, and how they finish the season. Um, any way, I, any way I look at it, there's going to be controversy at the end of the season. Obviously, with Barca underperforming and Madrid winning. Um, obviously, with Messi stalling his contract, there's going to be so much uh, controversy going on. But I think, for me as a player at the end of the day, you just have to focus on yourself and what you can control, and, and that's to finish out these last two games. Well put. So, Real Sociedad takes on Sevilla. Sam, on Thursday, what do you expect? Do you expect Sevilla to take care of business? I think this will be an interesting one because Real Sociedad come into it with a lot more confidence having beaten Villarreal and Sevilla come into it having tied up Champions League football for next season. So I think they might just take their foot off the gas a little bit. And if they do that, then Real Sociedad will definitely look to exploit the spaces that they leave in, in defence with their, their full-backs, their wing-backs who get forward quite a lot. They've got the kind of movement as very similar to Villarreal in many ways that they'll leave those spaces in the wide areas that they can look to exploit on the counter-attack. So I think that'll be the interesting thing to watch and see just how on the ball Sevilla are. Exactly. And then finally, Scott, Granada hosts Athletic Club Bilbao. Do you think that Bilbao can make it into Europa League? Uh, man, if Granada can keep up the form they had against Real Madrid, um, this, this is going to be really tough for Bilbao to, to, uh, to get a result. Um, I think this one will be a very low-sided uh, scoring affair, probably a one-goal margin. Um, but I, I could definitely see this going down, maybe a 1-1 draw. Athletic Bilbao will definitely have a lot to play for. Um, that, that Europa League spot is still right there. It's dangling in front of them. Uh, but they've got a really, really difficult, very compact Granada uh, side that's, that should be playing with a lot of confidence. Uh, right now, they've done well since the, the break. And this performance against Real Madrid, uh, it was a very dominant uh, 60 minutes from them, you know, the last 60 of the game. So I think they'll come into this game with a great mindset. Um, boy, Bilbao's got some work to do. For sure. So, guys, let's turn it over. Let's have an open discussion here. Chris, the strength of schedule. You've obviously been driving that discussion. Um, as an overview, I mean, we know that Madrid, Real Madrid has taken care of business, but who has the hardest run-in? Who has the easiest? What can we expect 
from the last two fixtures? And you know, what's your overall um, expectation? Well, I think Barcelona's clearly got the easiest um, schedule uh, left They're with only two matches. Atletico Madrid with Hitafe and Real Sociedad are going to have their hands full, depending on how they want to uh, defend that third-place position. And then um, Sevilla's got uh, full hands with Real Sociedad and, and Valencia. Um, Real Sociedad has got Sevilla, Atletico Madrid. So that's those are going to be some tough, uh, tough games for or a tough series for Atletico Sevilla, Atletico uh, Madrid, Sevilla, and Real Sociedad. The former two may just mail it in, right? While as yet Real Sociedad is going to go full guns a blazing. Sam, what are you most looking forward to in these last two matches? I think, in a way, almost more interesting than, than the race for Europe is going to be the, the battle at the, the bottom of the table. Because Leganes have started to pick up some points. Mallorca, I think, are really coming together now. I think it's too late, really, but they are coming together. And Alaves have been struggling. Celta Vigo are still struggling to get that consistency. And both of those teams, Celta Vigo and Alaves, are four points clear of safety with two games to go. But the way things have been in La Liga this season, I don't think any. Scott, what about you? What's, what's the biggest thing you're looking forward to? I know you're going to say Madrid. <laughs> yeah, big game coming up. Uh, Real Madrid, Real. <laughs> Got my eyes on that one. Um, but, I mean, aside from the obvious, uh, really interested to see how Real Sociedad handles these next two matches. So, I mean, like Chris was saying, this could be a Sevilla team that's in for a little bit of a letdown. They've, they've secured the Champions League. Uh, definitely an opportunity there. And then if Real Sociedad beats Sevilla, then that opens up a clear path for Atletico Madrid to third. So at that point, even less to play for. So, I mean, the, the ball is in Real Sociedad's court. And, I mean, if this young, talented group can, uh, can emerge for these last two matches, uh, you might see them, or you should see them, slip into the Europa League spot. Easy, what are you looking forward to, man, as a player? Uh, not looking forward to Madrid winning, but as a Barca fan, uh, I'm definitely going to get tons of messages from my, my team, my friends from, from Spain, but uh, most of them are Madridistas. But I think I'm most excited just to see how this third place finishes out with Atletico Madrid and Sevilla. I think Sevilla is a good quality squad and they're really pushing right now. And I also think Atletico is really good, but you know, also they have Champions League. So I'm really interested to see what kind of priorities are set and, and who they play. For sure, guys. A lot to look forward to. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. A big thank you to Sam, Chris, DJ, and Scott for your awesome insights today. We would also like to thank Total Football Analysis Solutions. Go check out www.totalfootballanalysis.com. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. See you next week and hasta luego.